Thank you, Larry. <laughs> I think. <laughs> yeah, I remember that game. Uh, remember, I think it was the, the night before the game, Neola and I were still dating at the time, and we went to this little pizza joint in Lawrenceville. I don't remember the name of it, but we got pizza there, and I go walking in with my varsity jacket, and they're looking at me like, what are you, this, is, this ain't St. Paris, what are you doing? You shouldn't be in here. I'm like, well, you, you know, I said, I know Bart Burner. He goes to church. Oh, okay, you know, so, so it was all good then. And so. Remember, I knocked down one of Bart's passes in the end zone that game. It was for a touchdown, but I knocked the ball down, so that was good. That. But that was the highlight of the game because we got, we got stomped, if I remember right. Anyways. I'm glad to be here. Yes, I do go to church here. Many of you probably think, who's this uh, person? We've not seen him around before, but I'm kind of in and out, like a lot of people, you know, here and there. And, and uh, yeah, I started coming to church here in 1985. I was looking back over the stuff, and I'm like, holy cow, that was a long time ago, 85. And, and uh, you know, I've seen a lot of things here. I've, we've, I've been through one, two, three or four pastors, I can't remember how many we've had, so I've kind of been here in some of the times when it was just amazing, and sometimes where we kind of struggled a little bit, so I've kind of seen a lot of different things, and and uh, holy cow, dear, we we took up the whole row there, that's pretty good, I didn't notice that, I looked down there, man, some of the other guys need to get busy, you know, fill up, fill up your row, there's uh, I'm glad Larry kind of started off with a thing about athletics. I've, after playing in high school, like so many people, I had a great time doing that. And uh, afterwards, uh, one of my coaches is actually sitting back there, Coach Pence. He, he always likes to remind me of the night I fumbled the ball in the homecoming game on the, yeah, on the one-yard line. <laughs> yeah, so thanks a lot, Jim. But, uh, you know, I never quit doing that. I, out of high school, uh, my coach was like, you need to go play college football somewhere. And I'm like, we were horrible and, and, at Graham. And being a running back, usually you're the one that gets pounded every game. And so at the end, I was like, I'm done with football. But ended up coaching, got into coaching. And I did that, oh, geez, 30 years, I think, I've coached up there in various places, you know, all the way from... Seventh grade, all the way up to, I was a head varsity coach one year, and, and I've done a lot of things with that. And the thing that always bothered me the most in football or any sport that I coach, you finally get a little momentum going, your team starts to, to move, and ah, they make a mistake. And the worst mistake of all in football to me is jumping off sides. It's all about timing. Timing is important. You bring the guys up to the line, we're moving the ball, everything's going great. Quarterback gets up there and one guy goes, oh, darn, and everybody's, oh, stops the whole drive, move them back. One guy screws up, they all got to pay for it. You know, we move the ball back and, you know, timing's very, very important. I, uh, one of the hobbies I got into for one summer uh, was Civil War reenacting. Wow, that sounds like something fun, so... I went and bought all this stuff, uh, bought some stuff and borrowed a bunch of stuff and 
found myself in central Michigan some weekend with about 500 different guys. I didn't know any of them. And we're supposed to be, you know, re- recreating a Civil War encampment and the whole thing. And I remember that night it rained, and I'm laying out there in the middle of a field, and I'm thinking, here I am, in the middle of Michigan, the rain's coming down, I'm wrapped up in a rubber poncho that they wore back in the day, and I'm like, why am I here? What am I doing out here? To make matters worse, we had one guy, every time we would drill, he would never fire his rifle on time. We'd all line up, you'd have 50 of us, a whole regiment lined up, ready, aim, fire, and he'd be like, he did it again, and he kept doing it over and over. We ended up in Urbana, they had a special thing for the man in the monument. We all lined up and everybody was wondering, is he going to do it? Is he going to get it right? So we all lined up and, ready, fire, yes. Ah, oh, you know, he did it again, you know. And he could never get it in his head that, you know, timing is everything. I mean, we all have to work, you know, boom, together. Timing is really important. When I was a young Christian, it seemed, you know, a lot of the songs we sang, different things that we did, that, you know, uh, seems like we spent a lot of time waiting around for God to do something. A lot of the songs we sang. You know, waiting at the church, waiting for a Savior, I will wait upon the Lord. You know, so, you know I'm a new Christian, and I'm thinking, man, I spent a lot of time waiting around for stuff. I wonder when something's going to happen, you know. And uh, I had uh, um, found a, a verse that, uh, that I really liked. Of course, it's not going to work now. Eh, it worked a little bit ago, but now it's not. So, did it work? It's not time. It's the wrong time. <laughs> I don't. I don't need. I don't need this, anyways. I. Uh, I've, I've preached many times here at church. Only most of the time, we had a nice big pulpit right here. You could hide behind, and we didn't. We don't worry about slides and stuff like that. But uh, I was introduced uh, to, the, to a, uh, hey, there we go, Spanky. I will wait upon the Lord. That's, that's me in my early life as a Christian, you know, sitting around waiting. And when's something going to happen? You know, they went to church and we talked a lot about the, the coming kingdom. And when's this kingdom going to come? When's it going to happen? And uh, I was introduced to this, this verse. This is Isaiah chapter 40, 31. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. And I'm thinking, that's great. You know, those who wait for the Lord, we're going to mount up with wings like eagles. And that sounds really good, but you know, it's great. You know, I'm getting real tired of, of waiting, so you know, hopefully I'm going to sprout wings and fly or something, this is going to be great. The Hebrew word for wait, it's a word called kava. Kava. I see Chapman's here today. He, he's in my world religions class at, at school, so he, I'll throw this one in free for you there, there Chappie. So, kava is the Hebrew word for wait. 
Now, we say wait, we get the idea, this is a passive thing. I'm tired of waiting. I just sit there and wait. But the Hebrew word kava, from which we get the word wait, literally means to collect or to bind something together, to wrap something up, like a rope. You get one strand, I can pull that sucker apart. But if I bind them all together, it gets very, very tight, very strong. To bind together, to linger, to wait, to hope for something in expectation. Remember as a kid, the biggest thing was Christmas, waiting for Christmas. The night before, you know, I'd lay in bed and couldn't wait. Wide awake, oh, Santa Claus, here we go. You know, and I'd fall asleep and wake up about an hour later and think it was morning, and I'd be in the bedroom, Mom, it's time to get up and time to go. Well, you know, I had to wait. That waiting led to an expectation. I was ready to go. The process of waiting for God is both active and passive. We bind ourselves up like a rope to God as we wait for God to move in a big way. In other words, I mean, they could have translated this in, in a way, you know, those who zip-tie themselves to the Lord, they'll uh, sprout wings and, and, you know, fly like eagles and do the whole thing. As we draw closer to God, the anticipation, I think, grows for God to move in a big way. We're waiting for God to move in this church. As many of you know, uh, you know, we're looking for a new pastor to fill the, fill the pulpit. And there's an anticipation, I think, that's growing, a waiting. And the trick is those of us who wait on the Lord to move in a great way in this church, we need to learn to, to bind ourselves to Him as we wait, and that anticipation grows. My... Uh, grandmother used to tell me there's a time and a place for everything my mom would always say all things everything happens for a reason when I was young I, I liked to argue with her about that so oh, yeah well what about this well what about the, you know this happened that, that has a reason she goes oh yes in God's time we just don't know it yet and I was kind of like oh but Ecclesiastes chapter 3 now, Ecclesiastes, I realize we're going to be uh, dusting off the Old Testament a little bit here today. So, and I know for some of us, you know, where's Ecclesiastes? We've got to dig around in there. And... But Ecclesiastes chapter 3 has an excellent uh, illustration given to us by Solomon about what life is, is like, the expectation of what life will, will hold for us, what it's like. And one of my favorite parts out of this let me go ahead and read to you Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 1 through 10. That's where we're going to be. So if you have your Bibles, real quickly, we'll, we'll flip through here. But Solomon is, is thinking, you know, what's the point of life? I mean, there's so many things. What's the point of it all? And he says, there's an appointed time for everything, and there's a time for every event under heaven. My grandma said, you know, there's a time for everything. Time to give birth, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, 
a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing, time to search and a time to give up is lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear apart, time to sew together, time to be silent, time to speak, time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Earthly pursuits are good in their proper place. I mean, Solomon would go through his life and he would talk about all these things. And Yeah, it's good that you understand there's a time and a place for everything. It's good to know that everything that we do in life has meaning, has a purpose behind it. But that purpose is worthless when it, that's, it's pursued only for its, its own self, only for its own chief goal. Let me give you an example. When I was uh, very, here we go again, when I was really young, uh, one of my first jobs when I started college was to work at uh, the all-famous Big Lots. My family is a very proud family, and uh, I remember my grandparents were kind of embarrassed to tell people, well, he's got a job. He's in the uh, uh, retail industry, yeah, <laughs> you know. My dad would be like, he works at Odd Lots, it's okay, you know. So, I can remember many nights, and I usually work night, sorting out stuff. Stuff would come in off the dock, we'd have to open it up, unload it, check it all in, put prices on it. Back in those days, I think uh, minimum wage was like six bucks an hour. And I can remember being so bored, sitting there literally with a price gun, six bucks an hour, click, <laughs> Go to the next six bucks an hour. Six bucks an hour. There's got to be something better than this. Okay, I've talked to men and women who work in uh, big factories, worked there for many, many years. Good, hard, honest work, pays their bills, takes care of their family. But even they sometimes sit there and go, $32.50 an hour, $32.50 an hour, 30, or whatever they're getting paid these days in some of these big places. But uh, That all began to change when I was challenged to live out my Christian life, yes, even at odd lots. There was a man there, a very profane man, older man. I love that guy. He was just so much fun to be with and and uh, so he got, ended up, uh, got cancer, and he'd talk about stuff, and, and we got to talking, and, and next thing you know, I'm able to share the gospel with him. I remember, it was like 7.30 in the morning, we're unloading this truck, and we just somehow naturally got on talking about God and eternity, and, you know, but I, I had the opportunity to talk about Jesus and what he had done for me. And then later on, there were, I don't even remember their names now, there were a couple of women who were having problems. I shared the gospel to them. I said, well, I'll pray for you. I think that's what I started off with. You think I'd have slapped her or something? She looked at me and she goes, well, I've been thinking about that. And then that led into a 
conversation. Suddenly, six bucks an hour, six bucks an hour had a little more meaning because it gave me an opportunity to share the gospel. It gave me an opportunity to do what I really love to do, which is to minister to people, to talk to people, to, to help other people. My ministry's in the high school. I work with teenagers every day, all the time. Can't get away from them. You come home, more teenagers. Yeah, you know. Um, poor Neola's like, let's go to the game. Let's go to the basketball game. And I'm like, I don't want to go to the game. I mean, all I do is spend time with those people all the time. I need a little break. Be like Neola saying, let's go to an accounting seminar. Yay! And I'd be like, who wants to? The point is, you know, I had to ask myself, does my work have meaning and purpose? It did after that. Timing was everything. I was in the right spot at the right time. When people would say, you work at Odd Lots? I mean, you got you to at least go work at Kroger's. They got a union, you know, you can go work. To... Nah, I think I'm where I'm supposed to be here, at least for the time being. And while I was working there, I was going to school and doing different things. And... But uh, what I was doing, I thought, had meaning. It, it had some purpose. God's timing is perfect. Verse 11 here in chapter 3 from Ecclesiastes says... You know, he's made everything beautiful or appropriate, okay, in its time. He has also set eternity in their hearts, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. In other words, nobody can figure out everything God's done. But he's put eternity in our hearts. In other words, God has made us for an eternal purpose, not the other way around. Some of my non-Christian friends like to say, you guys just invented God to help you through the, the, the life because you're weak. Yeah, I am weak, but I didn't invent God. He created me for his eternal purpose. I don't always know what that is. I don't know if I'm doing it. But I know I was created for a purpose. And that purpose reveals itself in the proper time, according to God's timing. You know, once again, we're here asked to, as a church, just wait upon the Lord. We're going to pick a new pastor. That takes time. And I've talked to some of you, and I know it can get frustrating. Man, we need to get a pastor in here. We need to get a pastor, you know. People aren't going to stick around, and things are going to happen, you know. We need to get us a pastor as soon as we can. You know, we are looking for a new pastor. Now, I'm not part of the pastoral search committee. I'm not, I don't have anything to do with that. But I know enough, enough about the church of God to know that there just aren't a lot of them out there at the moment. Reminds me of a time I was coaching baseball, and I'm a it's late in the game, and our pitcher's just pitching, and he is out of gas. And there's a parent up there yelling, you need to get him out of there. And I'm like, I would, but we don't have anybody in the bullpen. We have nobody. Who do you want me to, you know, bring in the kid from left field? You know, that's where you put the worst kid in the outfit. Bring him in. You get the pitch. Here you go. Good luck. 
Don't want to do that. So let's put it in a baseball analogy. We'd love to bring in a new pitcher. We got to get a got to find the pitcher first. He's out there, I think. He's just not in our bullpen yet. Well, as a quick lesson uh, from the Old Testament, you know about timing and waiting on God's timing. I was reminded of story out of 1 Samuel. And that's where we're going to spend some time here, uh, looking at some things out of 1 Samuel chapter 8. And to kind of give you a background, it's the age of the judges. Israel doesn't have a king. There was sort of a loose confederation of tribes scattered all around Israel. And what they had was somebody who, you know, they recognized as the judge or a chieftain, a guy who would go around and he would uh, you know, break up disputes, give, give his advice, help people solve problems. Every once in a while, relay a message from God, try to get people back on, back on track. But these judges filled the leadership void created by a nation, unfortunately, that existed in a cyclical pattern of sin and restoration. Those of you who have read through Samuel or spent any time in Sunday school know that Israel, they typically had uh, a lot of times when they were following God, they did real good, and then ah, forget it, gotten tragedy. Things would happen. God would leave them. And then they'd suddenly wake up, oh, why did I leave you, God? And they get right with God again. And what happens? Things start to, you know, pick up. Things were good again. And this pattern would repeat itself, and the judge would, you know, would have to get involved. And... Well, we pick up here at 1 Samuel, and the Israelites are continually dealing with their arch enemy, who are the, the Philistines. And First uh, Samuel chapter 4, before we get to this, it actually opens up with a battle about the Philistines in Israel. They go out, and Israel's used to beating up the, uh, the Philistines at this time, so they go out to battle, and the Philistines, whoop, they, they let them have it. The people of Israel are crushed. They just got mushed in battle. And the Bible even says, somebody mentioned, God was not among them. That's a problem. If you're going to go into battle as the people of God, God, you hopefully is with you. Well, God was not with them at that time. They had rejected God. And as a result, they get waylaid by the Philistines. Instead of praying to God and repenting, or to seek his face, as you know, some of the things are, Israel takes the matter into their own hands. Ah, we've got a secret weapon. We'll get those Philistines. Bring out the ark. They all saw Indiana Jones. They, they know what happens when you bring the ark out. You know, you take the lid off and the angels fly around and kill everybody. No. But the ark, they recognized, had a lot of, of power. It was a, a great symbol. So they brought it out into battle. And we're going to go out into battle. And they brought out the ark. And everybody was like, yes. And they all went crazy. Problem is, the two priests in charge of the ark, they were not men, men of God. These were the sons of Eli, who were uh, 
doing all kinds of terrible things, taking advantage of the women who worked there in, the, in their tabernacle. They were taking food that God had said, you're not supposed to do that. They were violating things. Even the people knew it. So they bring out the ark, and they're going into battle, and the Philistines are like, oh man, this is bad. They're bringing out the ark. Their God, the God who got them out of Egypt and had done all these things, he's going to bring them out. He's going oh, you guys better fight like you've never fought before. So they go into battle, and boom, the Philistines wipe them out again. The people of Israel are stunned. What, what happened? The Philistines take the ark, and they run off with it. And They came back, and they, they told the judge, Eli, who was an old man, real old man at that time, uh, you know, they got away with the ark. God wasn't with us. Anybody remember what happened to Eli? I do this at school sometimes. I get the same reaction. <laughs> Look at me like, what? <laughs> he got so upset, he flipped off the back of the chair, and he fell down and broke his neck. That was it for Eli. Capture of the ark provokes God, and he, he'll start messing with the Philistines. They'll get there. Don't worry. God's still uh, going to win the story. Okay, and you know, in the process of holding on to the ark, it, uh, they, the Bible says tumors broke out among the Philistines, and they were suffering greatly from a... Basically, to me, it sounds like the bubonic plague. I mean, they had these big splotches and... They made uh, golden idols out of the tumors and the mice. I'm like, mice? Well, that's how the fleas got around. And Anyways, uh, the capture of the ark provokes God and ends up, a new man is sort of, I don't want to say installed, but becomes the judge, a man by the name of Samuel. Samuel had been working with Eli for many, many years, and he became judge over Israel. You would think that story would have taught them a lesson about, you know, staying committed to God. Didn't work so well. Poor Samuel, he, as he grows, he puts his children in, in, in charge of the, uh, you know, as uh, priests over the, the, in the tabernacle. They're no better than Eli's kids were. They took bribes from people, and as a result, over the years, sure enough, Israel... Falls stagnant again because of a lack of leadership, because the leaders in charge of the people, the people who were supposed to be looking out for the good, the spiritual needs of that nation, they were too busy worried about other things. How much money can I get off of this? How can I cheat the people? I mean, there's no God back there in the Holy of Holies. I mean, there's, there's nobody back there. We looked. Israel falls away from God under this pathetic spiritual leadership. The people of Israel recognize the problem. We don't have a leader. We need somebody with authority to, to give us the way. We need help. Make us just like everybody else. Give us an earthly king like the other nations. Give us a pastor, just like everybody else. Well, wait a minute. But problem is, 
with Israel, God's going to teach him a lesson here, which picks up here with 1 Samuel chapter 8. And they said to Samuel, now appoint a king for us to judge like all the nations. I want to be like everybody else. Because we think that's what we need. We think that's what's most important at this very moment. It goes on, and the Lord's, you know, Samuel's like, this is, this is horrible. You know, this isn't what God wants for the people of Israel. And God says, give them what they want. They want it, give it to them. The Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in, in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. They forgot that they're created for my purpose, not the other way around. I mean, they took the, the ark, treated it like a good luck charm, took it into battle, and got waylaid because they'd forgotten that the ark is nothing. It's a symbol of me in their presence. God says, give them what they want. God's not going to save us from our mistakes. Here's God, I think, you know, like, guys, here we go again. You ever feel like this? I get this at school all the time. <laughs> you need to turn in your work. Let's pass that work up. Uh, about three papers come forward. I'm like, guys, guys, guys. I think God does the same thing to us many times. <laughs> guys, can't believe it. God's not going to save us from our mistakes. Romans chapter 1, there's a verse in there that talks about how God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things that their heart desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things. The problem is when you take your eyes off of God and you want to do it your way, you don't want to wait on the Lord. I want it now. I'm going to do it my way and I want it now. The problem is we get outside of God's timing God's not going to freeze time or stop you from making mistakes. This whole episode demonstrates what happens when we forget that we exist for God, for His eternal purpose. Instead of waiting and hoping on the Lord, they took matters into their own hands. They made a bad situation worse. The rest of 1 Samuel is just a big story about you know, Saul's continual screw up Saul would become the king, the one that the people wanted. And of course, throughout his time as king, he gets very impatient and makes a lot of mistakes. One of the big ones was he showed up and he should have waited on God. He should have waited on Samuel to show up. They'd gone out to battle again. Their new king. This is what the people want. Now he, Saul, had waited seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel. Samuel said, we're going to do this, but wait. Seven days or more, I don't know what time, but I'm going to show up. And when I get there, then we can go ahead and, and do the battle and do different things. Samuel didn't come. He, uh, whatever reason, he got hung up. And David, excuse me, Saul and his Warriors were like, when's he going to get here? 
Come on, we got to fight a battle here. We, we killed these guys over here. We got to get these guys. Samuel's not coming. Well, let's just do it ourselves. And so they get into, uh, they notice that uh, in all their waiting for Samuel to show up, who's illustrative of, of God coming on the scene, they decided we're going to do it ourselves. They noticed that the people were scattering. People are leaving. People are taking off. We need to do something here. So they took matters into their own hands. The result was Saul got called out for his disobedience because sure enough, Samuel showed up and informed Saul that, buddy, you blew it. You're done. God's going to raise and bring on in his own time a man after his own heart. That would be David. You see, my point, Israel is trying to force God to fit into their little world, to make God do what they think instead of the other way around. We exist for His pleasure. He's put eternity in our hearts. Waiting on things is a, it's a part of life. It's one of God's tools for developing people. Why, why does God want us to wait? Well, I think it helps reveal our true motives. Be patient. Truth's going to come out. Waiting has a way of bringing out the best and the worst in people. People who don't have good motives won't wait long because they're not interested in the commitment it takes to see something through. Remember Saul taking matters into his own hands rather than waiting on Samuel to show up. Whoops, waiting builds patience in our lives. Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, He who is faithful in very little things is faithful also in much. Show me you're faithful in the little things, and then I'll give you more things. But you've got to show me that you're faithful in the little things. Patience in waiting in small things leads to having patience in the bigger things. Waiting builds anticipation. Why do kids get so excited around Christmas time? Oh, Christmas, Santa Claus, oh, get to the presents. That wait has produced anticipation. We tend to appreciate things the longer we have to wait for them. Finally, waiting transforms our character. It has a way of rubbing off the rough edges of our lives. Most of us know the story of Moses delivering the Israelites from the Egyptians. That's a great story. Does anybody know how long Moses had to wait in the desert before he did that? Forty years. He waited in the desert for 40 years before he led the people out of Egypt. That's a long time to wait. God used that 40 years to transform his character. When he was a young man, he was very brash. He, he did stupid things. He even killed a man. He hid the body. When they called him out on it, he, he ran off. He hid. Ran off into the desert. But in that 40 years' time, God had used him and molded him, and he became the tool that God wanted him to use. It happened in God's time. If God would have taken that young Moses and thrown him into a level of leadership, what would the consequences have been? They probably never got out of Egypt. Waiting on the Lord 
is so important. There's the huge benefits of waiting on the Lord. I just I want to get real personal here. Um, I started here in 1985, and the pastor at the time was uh, a man by the name of Lee Arp. Not many of you know who he is. Uh, that's a name from the blast from the past. Well, as a young man, I was a junior in high school, and other than my, my grandmother and maybe my mother, I, never, I didn't have much spiritual influence. When I started coming to church here, that guy meant everything to me. It was the first time I'd ever had an adult man take me aside and say, you know what, follow Christ, it's that important. Be a Christian, get involved, do your thing at church. Because most of the men in my life were, church? You don't go to church, it's not what men do. Well, Pastor Arp had things that he had to do, and that didn't coincide with what I wanted. I, for me, I, he could have been pastor forever, he could still be here as far as I was concerned. But he left and took another church. And so here we were without a church, and uh, it seemed to me that we didn't wait very long to get the next guy. I don't, I, it's, again, it's been a long time. I'm sure Larry or some others could correct me, but it didn't seem like it was that long. We got another pastor. Nice guy. Um, but being young, he was young, I kind of gravitated towards him. Again, looking for a man to kind of show me the way, how to do things, other than Larry and maybe Russ. That was it, and Pete. Pete taught us uh, Sunday school. I still remember a lot of the things we did. So any of you in children's ministry, you might have a lousy lesson, but the kids remember. They remember you. Okay. Anyways, we got this new guy in, and, and he struggled. He struggled a lot. Um. But I didn't realize that. It was such a, a young time for me. And, and I got carried away with some of his hang-ups and some of his problems. And it, it kind of turned me against some of the people here in, in, the, in this church. People who loved me, cared about me. And instead, I got all hung up with this other guy and all his problems. Like, like Paul warned in, in Timothy. He said, don't let your faith get shipwrecked. I got shipwrecked. I got hung up on the rocks. Couldn't leave. Now, the pastor was a nice man, and I still um, love him, and every once in a while we'll still talk. But I think we had made a mistake in bringing in somebody who spiritually and maturity level was not ready to lead a church. Think about how important that is to lead the church, to be the shepherd among the flock. You've got a lot of young, impressionable people who are going to look to that person for spiritual leadership. If they are not properly prepared, people are going to get shipwrecked in their faith. You can't afford that. We can't afford that. That's not what God wants. So eventually he, you know, fate would have its course, things got bad enough, and, uh, and he left. It wasn't a good situation for him, nor was it for us. It wasn't fair to either one of us, frankly. 
So here we are again. We got to think about getting a new pastor. This time, I can remember the leadership of the church. By that time, they had included me on the board. I would think I was a deacon or something. And talking about, we don't want to rush into this. We cannot afford to rush into this. We have got to take time to think about doing things God's way, not rushing into this. We waited a year and a half to get our next pastor. Of course, I'm talking about Seth Ross. Seth was our pastor for the next 20 years. He grew up in this church from a, a kid to, to a man. And now he's the president of our, you know, the, the, the general conference. You think the timing was right for him? I do. We took the time to wait on the Lord. Lord, this is your church. This isn't our church. 30, 40 years ago, however long it was, some faithful people from Lawrenceville, God said, we got some faithful people here. I'm going to use them as a tool to create my church over in Northridge. Not their church, my church. Sylvia and Stan, and some of the, they were faithful to do that. And they created this place. But this is God's church. That's why we need to wait on the Lord. Wait for God to move so that the next person that we pick, we're lined up with God there. He's out there. I don't know who he is. I probably never met him. I don't know. God knows who he is. We don't want to force it. We don't want to be the church that says, give us a pastor. Everybody else has got one. We got to have one too. No, let's wait on the Lord. Wait for him to move. Wait on his time. And then see what happens. I think we'll be totally successful. Obviously, waiting on the Lord doesn't mean we should not prepare for a new pastor. It doesn't mean we just sit around like, well, he's going to come rolling in one day and I'm here. All right, that's not going to happen. We have to actively prepare now to get ready for him. We have to make sure we're not rushing into things. We need to prayerfully ask the Lord's direction each step of the way, continually asking him, what do you want, Lord, for your church here at North Hills? God created this church through his faithful. What does he want us to do? What is it that God desires of us? This is his church. Well, you know, I could go on and on with church stories and stuff, but I think one of the things, what we should do now, and what I would like to do, is to ask God, you know, what do you want for this church? So what I want to do is take a few moments of some guided prayer where we're going to ask God as his church this morning. Remember, God is not out there some weird being like the force, you know, use the force, you know. 
I see God moving and alive. I see it in the worship team. Leslie's up here. She's, I was waiting for the AME church choir to come up the middle, and we were going to start, you know. I love that. How do I know God's real? Because He's real. I see it. When I see Joey strumming the guitar, I'm often critical of guitar players. I like to play the guitar. A lot of times with church music, people think, well, it's church music. We're just happy to get volunteers. So, and we sing, oh, bringing in the sheaves. And we're like, what in the world is that? God created this church. He's blessed us with a fantastic band to do what? To worship Him. They're not up here to entertain. They're here to worship. We're preparing this church for God. Forever this new pastor is going to be. If you would, please bow your head. And in your own way, and I promise we won't take a long time with this. But I want you to thank God, first of all, for His faithfulness. Let's remember, God has been faithful to us. So as you, as you bow your head, thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. How you were able to use a faithful people to build this church to create this church for your use, for your glory in this community. And we've always tried to do your will and to do it in your timing. Lord, we ask you now as we prepare for a new pastor, Lord, that we would maintain that. Help us to be open, open our hearts and our ears to your timing. And people where you are, please pray for the leaders of the church. There are people tasked with choosing this pastor. That is not a responsibility I would want. They're going to have to answer to God. What did you do for my church? Who did you bring to be the leader of my church? So Lord, we thank you for the leaders of this church. The people who love us and look after us. Guide them so that they can choose this new pastor. So that, like David, we'll find a man after God's own heart. And Lord, we want to pray to you now and ask you, what do you want for this church? Not as I want, but what do you want, Lord? Reveal to us who it is that you've chosen to be our leader. And finally, God, we want to pray for whoever that person is. That person is sitting somewhere in a church this morning, not knowing what's going to happen to him when he gets here. All right. Lord, we want to pray for him, that you would lift him up, that you would start the process of planning your word, your message, your desires in his heart so that when he comes he'll find a church ready for him and we'll find a man after your heart to lead us so that this church does exactly what it was created to do to fulfill your glory to bring your glory to this community so as we finish up uh, I'll ask the worship team to, to come forward here and 
Lord, we, uh, we thank you for the many blessings that you've given to us, and we know that you've given them to us. We haven't earned anything. It's only by your grace that we're able to be here and to stay strong as a church. And dear God, we pray for that person this morning as they prepare their lives for ministry, that they would find a church after your own heart. Father, we love you today, and we pray that we would listen and be patient as we await your timing. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Father. Amen.